Kim, welcome to the Paid Copywriter Podcast. I am super excited to chat with you today. Just give us a brief background about you, how you started, and how you got into freelancing. I want to hear about your journey. Yeah, so I am a copywriter, web developer, and designer. And ironically, my my freelance journey actually started with a job search. So I have worked in tech startups my whole life and in kind of one form or another. And in 2019, I kind of found myself looking for my next startup role, but I really just wasn't finding anything I was excited about. And, you know, what I concluded was I really wanted to work for myself, but I had been, you know, saving for a wedding at the time and a house. And so I kind of knew, you know, if I was going to do this, I had to figure something out really, really quickly. And, you know, so that was kind of the challenge was how do I land relatively high paying freelance gigs quickly? You know, how do I find clients who are really good fit and, and build a growing business without a whole lot of time? And I think I must have tried over the ensuing months, kind of everything that everybody tries from, you know, Upwork up to social media, you know, blogging, you name it. But what I found really worked more than anything else was just building high quality relationships through one-on-one conversations. And, you know, fast forward to today, I've got a 480K uh, a year freelance business. And I'm also kind of out there with my website, freelancegps.com, teaching other developers, designers, writers, how to do the same thing, you know, how to take kind of more control over their marketing and, and sales process, how to land higher paying clients, and so that they can really get the sort of freedom and flexibility that they envisioned when they started freelancing. Awesome. Okay. So when you first embarked on that journey to find freelance gigs, were you looking for all three consulting design and writing or what were you looking for and what services do you offer today? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was kind of open to to all three because my background has sort of spanned all three and I still do all of them to an extent. I'd say, you know, roughly 50% of my work is, is development. And then probably the, the other 50% is split roughly evenly between design and copywriting. I do a lot of conversion rate optimization work and, and my design work is mostly UX design work. It's not graphic design work. So there's a lot of kind of copywriting involved in that as well. Okay. That's a really interesting background and one that I would say I have not interviewed anyone on the Paid Copywriter podcast about. I think those are all design, development, and writing are all like pretty different parts of the brain. So they tend to be divided into these very separate roles. Like I've worked with designers and developers. What about your background led you to straddling all three of these skill sets? So were you just holding different jobs in all of these different realms before freelance? I think it was a couple, a, a couple of things. One of them is just, you know, plain, plain and simple, my interests. You know, I was a, a writer growing up and, and ended up being an English major in college. So I've been writing for, for a very long time. But also, I think the other thing that sort of pulled me in, in this sort of cross-disciplinary direction was uh, effectively my clients, right? And I think you're right when you, when you say that, like, traditionally, those three roles are pretty siloed and they're pretty separated. But I think what e-commerce companies and SaaS startups are finding is that in order to kind of move the needle on the pieces of their business that they really care about, things like increasing revenue, decreasing costs, or, you know, hitting other business goals, they need people who are a little bit more sort of cross-functional. And so having somebody who understands kind of all three of those viewpoints and can apply them in a way that sort of helps convince customers to buy more or stick around longer or do some of the other behaviors that they need their customers to take is really important to them. 
Yes, for sure. Because it's not really just the words, it's where the words are placed and how your page is laid out and whether it's driving those conversions, like you said. I think that's something that freelance clients, even if it's like blog writing, for example, because I do a lot of content, being able to hand over a finished draft in a Google Doc, but then telling them create a graphic that looks like this, lay out the page like this is really something that freelance clients find helpful. So for all the writers listening, please try to expand your skill set to something just beyond the words on the page. And that leads me to my next question. So 480000 a year, it's a lot of money. That's a really great income. Are you a one-person show? Are you a solopreneur? Or do you have some help? Do you work with freelancers? Yeah, I'd say for the most part, I'm I'm a solopreneur. This is the first year that I've, I've really done even a little bit of subcontracting. And I think a lot of freelancers start under the impression that they can make some money, but not tons without kind of turning into an agency. And I think that's one of the, one of the myths that I really try to dispel. Like the reality is if you are helping your clients get business results, rather than kind of just filling a role, you can make substantially more than you probably expect. I also think it's, it's a whole hell of a lot more fun than kind of just practicing your craft because you get to then do some of the strategy work as well. You know, for, for writers that, that probably means, you know, things like having, having impact on the content plan and, and sort of the content direction rather than just, you know, writing the articles. And, and I find that work really engaging. How would a beginner who's really just learning about writing or maybe even they're a designer or a developer, they kind of just have that single freelance skill. How would they go about learning the basics of how they can provide those additional services to their clients? Like, let's say they're not business savvy and they just transitioned out of a career that, again, it just, they didn't have that business acumen. Where does one go to obtain that knowledge? Yeah. So I think there's, there's kind of two pieces to it, right? One, one of them is this sort of awareness piece, right? And just being aware of what your clients really care about based on their type of business, I think is hugely important. But I mean, regardless of the client, chances are it's going to be one or more of three things, right? Increasing revenue, decreasing costs, you know, if they're a tech startup hitting some kind of traction so that they can raise their next round of funding, those tend to be big ones. And then I think the other piece of it is figuring out how you can learn sort of complementary skill sets, right? And so for, for writers, that might be a little bit of design, might be a little bit of SEO. And I think the important thing to remember there is that you don't have to try to boil the ocean, right? You don't have to be an expert at everything. It's really about just learning enough to be dangerous. There's a, there's a fantastic book by a guy named Josh Kaufman called The First 20 Hours. And it's, it's almost like the opposite of the sort of Mal Gladwell, like um, 10,000 hour approach, right? And the idea is not to try to become, you know, an expert or a master at a new skill. The idea is how can you quickly get to a point where you're competent, right? Where you're good enough that you can actually add some level of value. And, and the book's fantastic because it basically lays out this plan for how you can learn any skill good enough to be competent in about 20 hours. And I think for, for any solopreneur, that's actually a really valuable mindset and skill set to have because you're constantly new, learning new skills, right? Like even if you're, if you're just a copywriter, right, you have to know enough sales and enough marketing to, to sell yourself, right? And your clients are, are constantly going to ask you to take on new things, right? There's obviously a ton that's changing the copywriting space in particular right now with the advent of AI and, and some other changes, right? And so being able to learn new skills, being able to broaden your, you know, your skill set and your offerings is hugely important. 
Yes, for sure. I love that like quick start mentality because that's something I teach in my course, which is just to start pitching clients and then work on perfecting the craft later. Because if you can get your foot in the door, you're going to learn so much faster than sitting there practicing writing. And, And you mentioned you're an English major. I was an English major in school as well. And a lot of people come from those types of backgrounds. And it's like, okay, well, you have a basic proficiency in writing. So taking more courses and procrastinating in that sense to not getting yourself out there can really hinder you, right? <laughs> totally. And I, I think ultimately, I think a lot of sort of English major type people know this implicitly, right? Your job is to to persuade, it's to entertain, it's to educate, right? It's not just to put words on a page, right? That's really just the medium of what you're doing. And I think for me, like that was a big shift in my mindset when I realized that I could, you know, expand into other mediums, right? Expand into code, expand into design. But that ultimately didn't change what I was really trying to do for my clients, right? Which was, you know, that persuasion, that, you know, education, all of those types of things. Absolutely. Can you give us a behind the scenes into your business and like what deliverables you're offering and I mean, not exactly what you charge, but I'm just curious as like, I, I want to peek under the hood of how one makes over six figures a year as a freelancer. The secret there is to find the best quality clients, right? You know, because the best clients value what you do and they're willing to pay for for high quality work. They also, I think, are easier to work with because they ask more questions and, and give good feedback. So I've got, you know, a handful of clients on retainer. Last year, all of my work was retainer work. I didn't do a single one-off project this year. You know, I've, I've taken on a few new clients and I've done some more one-off stuff as well, but most of my income is from, from retainer clients. I'd say they're split pretty evenly between e-commerce and, you know, tech software so- startups. And a lot of the work that I'm doing in, in one form or another is around conversion or retention, right? So how do these companies sell more to new and existing customers? How do they they do a better job retaining their customers? And for some clients, that's purely like um, copywriting and design and sort of strategy, right? Like let's run this A-B test where we change this copy, you know, under the hypothesis that'll do a better job persuading them. For some of them, I'm also actually doing the implementation. And so that involves, you know, writing a lot of code as well. But that's the the type of work that I'm doing. And I think you'll you'll find, regardless of the type of work that you do, that the closer you can get to the money for your clients, the higher rates you can charge because you make a bigger impact for your clients, right? And so, you know, as a as a copywriter listening to this, if you're wondering like, you know, how can I do this without going and learning code? You definitely can't, right? It might be learning just a little bit of SEO. And, and bringing some of the strategy there to say, you know, if we make some of these changes, we'll attract more customers to the site, that kind of thing. But but that is the approach. And I'd say the other piece of it is just trading up clients as you go, right? You know, I think when you're when you're starting out, and certainly when I started out full time in, in 2019, I wasn't making anything, right? And so your first couple of clients are, are probably going to be lower paying. You're going to be a little more flexible in who you take. But you should kind of trade up over time so that you get better and better clients who are willing to pay more, who are willing to treat you more like a partner, and ultimately who have more interesting work. Absolutely. And I, okay, so you started in 2019, which is exactly around the time I started as well. So that's really cool. Talk about the high quality clients thing. So that's, I think, one of the biggest questions I get and something that I try to teach and that it always comes with those follow-up questions is like, okay, but how do I know who will be a good client? Like those people who value the work that a freelancer does and pay accordingly, 
what does that look like and how do you find them? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. I think there's sort of two ways to, to sort of come at, at trying to hit that, right? The first is kind of upfront and just thinking about, well, who are the types of clients who are more likely than not going to be high quality? Right. And, and again, I think like the, the best clients, right, are the ones who can pay premium rates, who treat you like a partner, who are well versed in the type of work that you're trying to do so that they don't require a ton of handholding. And, and for me, those tend to be, you know, e-commerce companies and tech startups of a certain size, right? Typically between about five and, and 50 employees is sort of the sweet spot. And that's not a hard and fast rule, right? It's just that those companies are big enough that they can kind of afford to pay well small enough that they move fast and there's not like a lot of red tape. They're sort of tech first companies. So they live and breathe like technology and conversion and the types of things that I work on. And that means that they're, you know, easy to work with and they value what I do and, and they're willing to pay accordingly. And so I'd say, you know, the, the first thing you want to do is think about the types of clients who are going to tend to do the things that you need them to do and behave in the way that you need them to behave to have a, a growing freelance business. And, and go after them and align your marketing and your sales to attract more of them and kind of repel some of the folks who maybe aren't the best fit. But I think the second thing happens at, at the total other end of the process, right? During the sales process, when you talk to folks. And that I think is all about how you screen clients and how you set expectations with them. And so a lot of what I do on sales calls is designed to figure out kind of where on the spectrum they are from like absolutely amazing client to, you know, client that I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. Right. And, and so part of that is asking for me is about asking what their business goals are, right. What they prioritize. So like a lot of times, you know, when you, when you're speaking with a new client, you'll have a vague idea about the project just from, you know, whatever emails you had back and forth or, you know, whoever introduced you, what they kind of said. And usually when you get on a call, the client will kind of start talking through the scope of the project. Right. And one of the things I try to do is, is pump the brakes a little bit and get them to just give me some, some background, right? Like, why is this project important to the business? What are you hoping to accomplish? And, and if they can articulate that clearly, right, it, it falls kind of under one of those things, right? Like increased revenue, decreased costs, you know, hit traction, that kind of thing. I know that they're, they're data-driven. That's going to tend to mean that they're a little bit easier to work with. You know, I, I also can kind of get a sense for whether they understand some of the, the norms of like, you know, how these types of projects work, that kind of thing. Um, so that I think is hugely important. I also, you know, will ask questions about whether they've done this, you know, work with freelancers in the past on this type of thing. Did that go well? Did, you know, what went well, what didn't? Those I think are, are hugely helpful questions because they'll give you a sense of what their expectations are. And then, you know, I think the other sort of important thing is really just price. I think that freelancers are often surprised by the fact that lowering their prices doesn't actually make it easier to land clients. It may make it easier to land clients who pinch pennies, but that I think tends to cause a whole lot of headaches. I found far and away the highest paying clients are actually the easiest clients to work with, you know, and they tend to avoid changing the scope last minute or, you know, doing things that make, do, do things that make your life really difficult. And so that, those types of questions, I think, are really, really helpful. And then finally, I think the, the most important thing you can do is just set really clear expectations when you create your statement of work, right? And and make sure you're, you know, saying, okay, like, this is when things are going to happen. This is what's in scope. This is what's out of scope. This, this is, like, what I'm going to provide, but also these are my expectations for you, right? And these are some some limitations, right? So, you know, I need 
timely feedback and here's how quickly I need to turn around in order to hit the deadline we talked about. Here's a limit of the you know, number of calls or meetings that we're going to do during this project, that kind of thing. Those things, I think, both help protect you, but I think more importantly, set really clear expectations with the client. If they want something different, they'll tell you ahead of time, and then you can negotiate you know, your price or, or the scope of work based on those needs. Yes. Having a process mapped out is before you get on a call with the client is really underrated. I also love that question that you started with, which is like, why is this important to you? I think that is something that I need to work on and definitely add to the questions I ask clients because, and I'm sure you're, you can feel this, you can feel me on this where like, you've worked for so many clients that are in this B2B tech niche and they all kind of have similar goals and want the same things. It's just different brands, at least for content and copywriting. So I think I've gotten away from asking like, why is this important to you? Because I just assume their goals. So I really like that. I'm going to add that. I'm going to steal that from you. But the other thing you said that's really good is how has your experience been working with other freelancers? Because if they've never worked with somebody, if they've never worked with a freelancer, you know, you really need to do some handholding and be even more intentional about laying out those steps. Here's how many revisions I'm offering. Here's how many calls. Here's my turnaround. Here's what's included. Here's what's not. Freelancers are really, really afraid to state those things because a lot of the time they just, in the beginning, they're like, I'm just happy to get on a call and I'm going to lay down and do whatever they tell me to do. So that's really key. And also if they talk badly about past freelancers, I do tend to, I'm like, okay, I can kind of get what it's going to be like to work with you. It's like the guy or girl that you go on a date with and like all their exes are somehow crazy, but it's like, they never, it's like, okay, what did you do though to make them crazy? And it's like that with clients. It's like, if they've worked with all these bad freelancers and this and that, it's like, okay, but did you set expectations? Are you good to work with? It makes me, that sometimes can raise a red flag when they talk really badly about past freelance experiences. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, right? And ultimately, what you're trying to do is surface some of those red flags. I found, you know, similar to, to asking about those past experiences, when you ask about what their goals are, right, their ability or lack thereof to kind of clearly communicate those goals is a huge indicator of how it's going to be to work with them, right? In fact, I was just on a, a call with a prospective client the other day, and I asked this question, and he really couldn't tell me. It was basically like, well, it kind of seemed like a good idea. Right. And, you know, I kind of like tried to lead him in, in the direction of like, oh, like, is it this, you know, is it, is it revenue? Is it cost savings? Like, why do you want to do this? And he still kind of like couldn't get there. And it was kind of an indication to me that he's likely to be pretty kind of wishy-washy or capricious later. Right. And that, you know, that is, a, you know, a good indicator that he's going to change scope or, you know, have some kind of like wild idea later in the process and want to like change what the project is. And that's something that I think you want to avoid, you know, at all costs, if you're trying to run an efficient business. Yes, absolutely. Tell me about how you get your foot in the door with clients, how you went about finding clients and how you're inserting yourself into these people's marketing departments. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I mentioned this earlier, I found that by far the most efficient way to, to meet new clients is kind of through one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I, I started by trying some of the some of the other stuff, right? Like the upworks of the world, social media. And I think it, you know, ultimately, like regardless of what business you're running, you can evaluate any kind of marketing channel based on how crowded it is and how much, you know, time, money, and effort it takes to use that channel. Right. And the so-called like experts on upwork 
recommend that if you're actively looking for work, you submit between 25 and 50 proposals a week. I don't know anybody who could do that and have them be any kind of quality in under like 25 or 30 hours. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure as, as folks listening know, right, like creating a, a blog or um, a large social following takes a ton of work. And while I think those are definitely things that are worthwhile to consider, they might not be sort of the best places to start off with your marketing. And so what I found really works is just thinking about once you know who your ideal clients are, where are they hanging out, both online and in the real world, right? Um, meetups, industry groups, Slack groups, that kind of thing. And also who knows them already and, and can introduce you. And oftentimes that, that second one is other freelancers, particularly those in sort of complementary niches to yours, right? So if you're a copywriter, right, meeting, you know, marketing freelancers, design freelancers, developer freelancers, um, chances are that they're already working with the types of clients you're going after. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. They're also some of the first people that your clients are going to ask when they're looking for a referral to someone like you. So that can be kind of a great way to, to sort of shortcut the marketing process quite a bit. Um, it also means that you're competing way less than you otherwise would be, right? Like the average um, gig on Upwork gets like 50 plus proposals, right? Um, but if, you, if you're getting an introduction, chances are you're either the only person competing for that gig or you're one of like three people, which means your, your odds of closing that deal go way, way up. Yes. And I prescribe cold pitching as like the main strategy of how freelancers can get their foot in the door with these higher quality clients. But like one step above that, which is even more powerful, is really referrals because the trust is built. It's built in because somebody, you know, referred you. So, you know, you're kind of capitalizing on that trust and that relationship that the person has already built who's referring you. So, how do you go? I feel like this is a strategy because I rely pretty heavily on cold pitching. And then I have, like you were saying, I have my retainer clients. So luckily I don't have to pitch as hard, but my instinct, because I have a background in sales is always to go to cold pitching. I would say asking for referrals is my absolute weakest skill set in terms of freelance business development. Tell me about referrals, getting your foot in the door that way, networking, like what are your top tips for that? Yeah. So I think the thing that I found works really well is really just trying to have conversations with people like they're like they're human. I think you you don't have to immediately go into sales mode, right? And so if you're if you're new to freelancing, a great approach is just ask for advice. And so if they're, you know, if it's another freelancer, you know, you can ask them how they got started in freelancing, what's worked well, what hasn't. If you are speaking to a prospective client, you can ask them, you know, what's what they've liked when they've worked with freelancers in the past and how they found them, what did what didn't they like, that kind of thing. And the nice thing about that is, A, it's just extremely disarming. I think for a lot of people who don't have a sales background, it's way easier to just start with that kind of stuff because it's, you know, no different than talking to a friend, right? You're just kind of having a, an informal conversation. It's not a big deal. But the other piece of it is if they have potential work for you, they'll just raise their hands and tell you, right? Like the reality is the likelihood of you convincing someone who really doesn't have that type of project that they should suddenly, you know, find budget and do it is probably pretty low. But if they do have that type of project and they're looking for someone, right, they're going to talk to you about it. And if that doesn't work, if they don't bring that up, you can ask for some introductions for other people to talk to, you know, just to get advice, right? You know, are there, do you know of any other people who'd be willing to chat with me and, and let me pick their brain a little bit? If you're more experienced, you can, you know, also kind of go with a, an approach of adding value, right? So you can show up to 
a meetup and lead the meetup or give a talk, you know, if you, you go to a co-working space or something like that, you can hold office hours. So there's a lot of ways to like add value and teach as well that also work really well. And then I think finally for, for clients that you already have, you can just ask, right? If they're having a good experience with you, they're going to be happy to help you out if they're good clients. And, and so I think all three of those tactics work really well. And the important thing is just kind of keep having conversations and keep meeting people. Yes. Always ask your existing happy clients, preferably, you know, I, I always say the minute you get good feedback or they say, great job, this was great. It's either ask for a testimonial or ask for a referral. Cause that's at the moment when they're praising you and acknowledging that you're doing a good job and you just want to capitalize on that. I also really like what you said about just asking people for that favor. Cause a lot of people will think, well, I don't want to go and ask someone to pick their brain or ask them a favor, but I heard this on a podcast the other day and it really flipped the way I think about this. So it was this YouTube slash podcast channel called the ice coffee hour. And they interview all these entrepreneurs and they were interviewing Ben Shapiro and he's like a damn near billionaire bootstrapped his company. And he was saying, they asked him like, how do you network with these, you know, really rich, successful people? And he said, ask them for things and ask them for favors, because when you ask somebody for something, you're automatically placing them above you. And to me, that was like very counterintuitive because you think to yourself when you ask someone for something, you're bothering them. And actually, oh, we should be giving things for free to people. But actually, when we do people favors and do things for people, sometimes that can work against us because now someone feels indebted to you. Like that's like if you're a girl at a bar and a guy buys you a drink, you're like, shit, now I got to talk to him and I don't want to because he bought me a drink. Like, no, I don't want the drink. Thank you. So accepting favors isn't always the best way. And when you ask someone for a favor, you're elevating them because now all of a sudden they're in the position of somebody who can help you. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. I think ultimately like people love to be asked for advice in particular because it's an implicit acknowledgement that you see them as an expert, right? And, and people love to be helpful for the same reason, right? Because it shows that they have value, you know, and, and sort of proves that they have something to give. Absolutely. Tell me about Freelance GPS. What prompted you to start this? And tell me a little bit about your course that you offer for free on your site, because I know a lot of people are going to want to check that out, but give them a behind the scenes of like what you're teaching in that course too. Yeah. So I started Freelance GPS a, a couple of years ago, basically because of how transformational freelancing had been in, in my life. You know, I had been working at tech startups for a number of years, for, for 15 plus years, some of them were mine. I was usually, you know, otherwise pretty senior on, on those teams. And it was a ton of fun, but it was also really high stress. And I think one of the things that, that just sort of blew me away about freelancing was how I could earn more than I did at those places and still have more flexibility and kind of more autonomy. And really, I just wanted to help other people kind of find the same thing. And so that's why I started Freelance GPS. It's, you know, obviously a website. I also have a, a weekly newsletter. I give away a couple of free courses. And for those who are interested, I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the, the free course is really all about the details around the, the kind of strategies we've just been talking about, right? So how do, I, how do you identify who your ideal clients are? How do you meet them in a way that's highly efficient? Because as freelancers, right, we, we need to meet clients quickly. We can't spend all of our time kind of doing the marketing thing, right? We actually have to get to work and, you know, finish projects and get paid. You know, how do you set your sales process up? So, so that A, you're not leaving money on the table, but B, I think just as importantly, 
you're setting yourself up for success by setting really clear expectations and clear boundaries with your clients by making sure that they're going to be, you know, kind of blown away by how good of a job you did so that they are excited to refer more business your way. Well, that sounds super helpful. And I know there's going to be a lot of people in this audience listening right now that want to be that triple threat that you are with offering those different skill sets. Do you talk about that too, about like how to structure your offer? Yeah, absolutely. That's something I kind of focus a lot on during the sales process. I really kind of call it co-designing the project because I think ultimately the freelancers who are kind of working as partners with their clients are the ones who tend to have the most success, right? If you are sort of just taking orders from your client, right? Like they're rolling up to the drive-thru and you're, you're just taking their fast food order. You know, you're really not being treated as a partner, right? Your, your rates are going to reflect that. Your, I think overall level of happiness um, as a freelancer is also going to reflect that. If on the other hand, you're kind of trying to dictate to your clients, like this is exactly how this project is going to look, you're going to have a lot of trouble actually selling work, right? And so really it's about how do you get the right information from your clients so that you can structure your offers well? How do you start to identify trends between clients that you can get you out? Know, add additional skills, add to your offerings, that kind of thing as well, so that you can get your business to where you want it to go. Incredible. Well, let everyone know where they can find you and how they can connect with you. Yeah. So you can, you can find me at freelancegps.com. I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. I also, in addition to offering the free course, I do free strategy sessions. So if you want to chat with someone about where you are on your kind of freelance journey and how you can get to that next level, happy to chat with with anyone. You can just kind of sign up for the free course and you'll get a link to, to book a free strategy session as well. That's amazing. And I know people will take you up on that because we all need that direction and somebody to kind of soberly look at what we're doing and be like, yes, add this, do this. And I think you should do this. People are dying for that. Yeah. I think it sometimes it's just helpful to get a third party kind of perspective to say like, okay, what have you tried? Why do you keep doing it this way? Like, here's some things you can you can try differently. I found that gets so many people on stock. It certainly has been helpful for me at various points in my career. Yeah. Would you say that you specialize in the tech space or are you open to freelancers within different niches? Yeah. So I'm definitely open to freelancers in different niches. I've I've helped probably just about every kind of freelancer under the sun at this point. I, I definitely have a lot of tech folks, but certainly people from other other industries as well. I have a lot of writers. Obviously, freelance writing is just such a huge industry. Um, so happy, happy to chat with anyone. I think ultimately the, the strategy and the tactics really kind of cross every type of industry and it's just about figuring out how to apply them to your unique situation. For sure. Well, Tim, thank you so much. And everyone, I will drop the links to Tim's website, his free courses and all of that good stuff below, but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me.